Well, good morning, Gospel Hope, and welcome to Connect Sunday. Man, I'm excited today that we are going to continue our series on the life of David called It's Complicated, and we're going to be talking about today the importance of godly friendships. We're going to make some very specific applications about community groups at Gospel Hope at the end. So I hope you'll stick around to the very end of the sermon where we have a conversation about how you can get involved in community groups at Gospel Hope. Before we jump into the passage this morning, let's take a moment and ask God for help. Father, we are so thankful for your grace and your mercy. And we thank you for Jesus, who not only gives us a relationship with you, Father, but also gives us a relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray today that we would not only uh, see the importance of friendship, but strive to be a godly friend and pursue godly friends. Father, would you come, would you send your spirit, and would you cause us to see things freshly from your word? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're taking notes, the title of the message today is You Got a Friend in Me. And as you probably are aware, that is the theme song or the song that was made famous by the wildly popular Toy Story movies franchise. Uh, the, the concept of Toy Story was uh, the unlikely friendship between Woody the Cowboy and Buzz Lightyear, the intergalactic space ranger. A way cooler job, if you ask me. Uh, their relationship starts out pretty rocky, where they're adversaries and eventually turns into a very deep and lasting friendship. But what these movies illustrate is that a very profound truth that even good friends can have moments of tension in their relationship, like this one. Now, if that's not the face of friendship, I'm not sure what is. I bring this up because in this passage today, we see a very similar concept. If you were listening in last week, you saw that that was the passage, 2 Samuel chapter 11, where David committed adultery with Bathsheba and covered it up by allowing Uriah, her husband, to be killed in battle. Enter David's longtime friend and trusted advisor, Nathan the prophet. It seemed that God had charged Nathan with the unpleasant task of confronting King David in what ends up being one of the most emotionally charged passages in the whole Bible. If you've read this story before, it is clearly an awkward and uncomfortable moment. And yet it illustrates a very significant truth, namely this. Godly friends are more concerned about our character than our comfort. Godly friends are more concerned about our character than our comfort. So you might hear that statement and think, well, why should I seek and pursue friendships then? I mean, if friends, if godly friendships are going to make my life uncomfortable at times, why not just go it alone? Why not, you know, kind of isolate myself from others and just walk with Jesus, just me and him? I don't need other people in my life if they're going to make my life challenging. Well, there's at least two reasons that I'd like to point out that are really significant. Reasons that we should pursue godly friendships. The first one is this, is that there is the danger of self-deception. 
As I just mentioned in chapter 11, David committed the sin and then he tried to cover it up in all kinds of ways. First of all, he had Uriah come home from battle and tried to get him to go sleep with Bathsheba. When, when that didn't work, he moved Uriah to the front of the battle lines and, and had him killed. Uh, he had him deliver his letter of execution by his own hand. And then when Uriah was dead, what did David do? He married Bathsheba, this widow, and seemed like he was the hero of the story, taking care of this uh, war hero who's lost and his family after that. And it looked like David had gotten away with the whole thing. But look at the text once again. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse number 23. The messenger said to David, Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. Did you hear how callous David had become? And what is especially tragic about this whole episode is it seems that David had deceived himself into believing that he had gotten away with the whole thing. David was a victim of his own self-deceit. But the reality was he didn't get away with it. Look again at the text for Samuel chapter 11, verse number 27. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Part of the reason why David had fallen prey to self-deceit was because he isolated himself. Instead of surrounding himself with counselors, David sent them all away. We read that in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse number 1. In the spring, when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. This passage does not indicate that we should never spend time alone, but we must realize that there is a great danger in isolation. That's why the Bible thinks, says things like this in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deception. We need each other in one another's lives because isolation is the greenhouse in which self-deception easily grows. Isolation is a greenhouse in which self-deception easily grows. So the first danger, the first danger that we need to avoid by cultivating godly friendships is the danger of self-deceit. There's another danger that David fell prey, prey to as well. It is the danger of complacency. It seems that David had gotten a little bit too comfortable in this story. No longer was he actively pursuing God's will. He was passively letting others do what he should have been doing himself. As pa Pastor Rod said so plainly last week, David was in bed when he should have been in battle. Look again at 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring, when kings march out to war, there's the clue right there. Kings are supposed to be out to war right now. But David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and noticed this next phrase, 
strolled around on the roof of his palace. The army is out fighting and David is napping and strolling. This problem was evident to David's general, Joab. Look at 2 Samuel 12, verse number 27. Then Joab sent messengers to David to say, I have fought against Rabbah and have also captured his water supply. Now therefore, assemble the rest of the troops, lay siege to the city, and capture it. Notice this phrase here that Joab kind of condemns David with. Otherwise, I will be the one to capture the city, and it will be named after me. In other words, David, get to where you are supposed to be. Here's the idea that we all need to remember. Past success is no guarantee of future success. Godly friends reminds us of this reality. Or if I could put it another way, godly friends keep us sharp. As the Bible says over in Proverbs chapter 27, verse number 17, iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens another. David had gotten dull and lazy in part because he wasn't around others who were doing what they were supposed to be doing. The popular adage actually expresses the biblical imperative. Believers must, 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 must stay humble and hungry. Believers must stay humble and hungry. This all leads me to my point this morning, which is simply this. We must cultivate godly friendships. Now, I use that word cultivate intentionally because I, I want to emphasize something here. I, I want to say that we need to be a godly friend and we also need to pursue godly friends. Or if I could put it another way, we should embody and esteem godly friendships. This is critical for our lives. If we're to avoid the dangers of self-deception, if we're to avoid the danger of complacency, we need godly people in our life. We need to be godly people and we need to pursue godly people. So you might hear that and say, Ryan, I'm with you so far, but what does that look like? What does it look like to be and pursue godly friends? Well, fortunately, we don't have to speculate because in this passage, that is exactly the type of friend that Nathan is to David. Nathan the prophet really embodies the traits of a godly friend. And what I want to do this morning briefly is make four observations from this story, from the life of Nathan, how he was a true friend to David. And Lord willing, we will emulate these characteristics that are found in Nathan the prophet. The first one is this. The first trait of a godly friend is simply this. Godly friends are committed. Well, this passage is definitely the most well-known story where Nathan is mentioned. It's far from the only one. In fact, Nathan's name is mentioned dozens of times in the scripture, several of them before this incident happened and several of them after this incident happens. The idea is simply this. Nathan was a committed friend. He was committed to David. He wasn't just a troll who stopped by to criticize the dumpster fire that was David's life at this moment. He was involved with David and he stayed involved with David through thick and thin. David, Nathan stuck with David when the king was at his worst. Now, this certainly does not mean that there are never occasions where we withdraw from a toxic relationship. But what it does mean is this. Repentance reconciles relationships. You see, when King David repented of his sin, as we see in the passage here this morning, it gave the opportunity, it paved the way 
for Nathan's relationship with David to be restored. Yes, yes, by all means, when David repented, he was primarily repenting towards God and reconciling that relationship. But his repentance also made it possible for his and Nathan and the other people that he had sinned against to be restored to a right relationships. Look, because all friendships are a relationship between two sinners. Isn't that true? All of my friendships are between me, a sinner, and another sinner. So because of that reality, we just shouldn't be surprised when sin occurs. Godly friendships are not marked by the absence of sin, but by the presence of repentance and forgiveness. Guys, listen carefully to this idea. If we want to be a godly friend, and I know many of you do, godly friends are skilled at expressing repentance and extending forgiveness. That is a trait of a godly friend. You're committed to other people and you're like, you know what? Because we're sinners in this relationship, I need to be skilled at expressing repentance. When I'm wrong, I want to be quick to acknowledge my wrong and express repentance to those I sin against. But I also want to be quick to extend forgiveness so that when others sin against me, I'm extending the olive branch and trying to get that relationship made right. When these virtues are present, it enables us to stay in the game even when times are tough. Godly friends are committed to one another and godly friends are committed to a life of repentance and forgiveness. Second thing I wanna notice about Nathan here is that godly friends are wise. Now, if you're familiar with this story, you know that Nathan confronted David. He does it very plainly very clearly, very directly. But he didn't come in with guns blazing. He didn't just kick down the door and be like, David, you're wrong. What's your problem? Can you get your act together? Straighten up. No. When Nathan the prophet came to David, he came with a story. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse number 1. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he arrived, he said to him, there were two men in a certain city one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised her, and she grew up with him and with his children, and from his meager food she would eat, from his cup she would drink, and in his arms she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, He took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die because he has done this thing and showed no pity. He must pay four lambs for that lamb. Nathan replied to David, You are the man. Ouch. I mean, Every time I read that story, it gets it right in the chest, doesn't it? So, so why did Dave, Nathan, create this elaborate parable? I think there's really only one reason. It was because he loved David. Because he desired David's repentance, Nathan spoke in a way that was the most likely to be heard by his king. Nathan wanted David to repent, and so he was wise in the way that he approached his friend. As the proverb says, 
There is one who speaks rashly, like a piercing sword. That was not Nathan, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Or again, in Proverbs 25, a word spoken at the right time is like gold apples in silver settings. A wise correction to a receptive ear is like a gold ring or an ornament of gold. And what an important reminder for us today, friends. You, no doubt, like all of us, have various people in your life with wildly different opinions on a vast array of issues. If we want to be good and godly friends in this divisive milieu, listen, we must learn to speak wisely. If we believe that we have something important to say, like Nathan, we must consider who we are speaking to and do it in such a way that is most likely to be heard. Let's be wise as we interact with our friends. Our words must always be intended to heal, not to harm. This is definitely countercultural at our moment in society right now when it seems like those with the greatest ability to torch their opponents are celebrated. But it's not biblical, friends. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 29. No foul language should come from your mouth. But only, oh, that word is so important, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Clearly, this doesn't mean that we ignore sin. That's not what Nathan did. But it does mean that Christians should be known for their upbuilding, grace-giving speech. Is that what your words are known for? To build people up to give grace to people, whether you type them or whether you say them or whether you send an email or have a personal conversation, our words should be upbuilding. That doesn't mean we don't confront. That doesn't mean we don't challenge, but we're not trying to tear people down. If this were true, brothers and sisters, if it really was true of our lives, if gospel hope and the members of this family were known for their grace giving speech, I guarantee you that it would stand out and draw attention to the Savior who saved us. So let's be wise, friends. Number three, honest. Nathan was an honest friend. Without question, David confronted or Nathan confronted David with wisdom and grace. But ultimately, let's not miss that. Nathan told David the truth. Look at verse number seven. Nathan replied to David, you are the man, and this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I rescued you from Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that was not enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by, take, by doing what is considered evil? You struck down Uriah the Hethite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him with an Ammonite's sword. No punches pulled. But again, this is not evidence of David's hatred for, or Nathan's hatred of David. It's evidence of love. He is being honest with David because he is seeking the king's best interest. Again, the book of Proverbs is so instructive in this. Better an open reprimand than concealed love. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy. That is, the wounds given by a friend 
are trustworthy. Or, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, what should you do? Restore such a person. Confront them, challenge them, speak to them, but do so gently so that you yourself are not tempted. Right now, our culture defines love basically as endorsing someone's choices. But that's a poor definition of love. That, that's not the full embodiment of love. Affirmation alone is an inadequate definition of love. That's not the definition of love. Sure, we need to speak words of affirmation. Sure, we need to give words that are encouraging. But at the end of the day, if we're really truly being good friends, we must be honest, be grace-filled, be committed to the building up of others, be loving, be gentle, but be honest. The reality is we all need people in our lives who care enough about us to tell us the truth. If self-deception is unavoidable, then honest friends are indispensable. Oh, I need friends in my life. I need friends in my life who love me enough to look me in the eye and say, Ryan, I love you and I love you enough to tell you that you're off track. You're not following the Lord on this. That's not right. You're wrong on this matter. You need to repent. You need to turn away from that. I love you and that's why I'm speaking to you. I'm committed to you and my commitment to you means that I must be honest when you're not walking the way the Lord has called you to walk. The last characteristic of Nathan is this, is he was risky. And you say, what do you mean by that? I don't mean that Nathan liked skydiving or that he played the stock market. What I mean is that Nathan was willing to risk his relationship with David for something greater. I mean, stop and think about it for a moment. Nathan didn't know how this was going to turn out. Most likely, about a whole year had gone by since David had committed the sin with Bathsheba and had Uriah killed. So David had been living in this kind of hidden rebellion, this secret sin for quite some time. Nathan didn't know what was going to happen. And what is more, David was the king. David had all the power. And by the way, David was a pretty accomplished warrior. So if you're Nathan in that moment, you're probably feeling a sense of fear and trepidation as you go in and prepare to have this very awkward and uncomfortable and potentially deadly conversation with the ruler of your nation. And yet, Nathan did what had to be done. Why? Again, I think it's because he's his friend. In confronting the king, Nathan was essentially saying, and this is oh so important, David, I care more about your relationship with God than I care about your relationship with me. That's the type of friend we want to be. That's the type of friends we want to have. I care more about your walk with God than I care about how you feel about me. You might get mad, you might get angry, but I love you. And I want what's best for you. So I'm willing to risk our relationship because I want you to have a right relationship with God. Now that is ride or die. I need people like that in my life. I need friends who say, hey, Ryan, come hell or high water. I am committed to your walk with Jesus. And even if you get mad at me, even if you turn your back on me, I am committed to you knowing the Savior and living in obedience to him. 
It's friends like that. It's friends that are risky, that help marriages that are on the rocks stay on track. It's friends like that that help cycles of addiction get broken. It's friends like that that help people avoid catastrophic decisions. It's friends like that that keep parents from losing their cool. It's friends like that that help young people avoid rebellion. It's friends like that that help singles fight for purity. Oh, let's be godly friends because we want our brothers and sisters to make it. Oh, that's risky. It's hard. It's scary at times, but it's what the Lord calls us to do. It is not just my responsibility to make sure that I am walking with God. And as long as I make it to the finish line, then everything is good. Oh no, I have a family. I have brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's my job to not just be responsible for me, but to be responsible for them and bring them along with me and say, oh, brothers and sisters, I love you and I want to see you make it. So I'm going to be a risky friend. You may hear all this and say, well, I definitely want to be and have that type of friendship that you're talking about. But honestly, Ryan, in this day and age, that doesn't even seem possible. Can we really have friendships like that today? I mean, our world is so busy and our world is so wicked and our world is so divided. How is it possible to really have godly friendships? Can we do it? I want to joyfully and thankfully say, yes, 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 you can be and have godly friends. Here's how the Apostle John puts it over in 1 John chapter 1. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So let me unpack that very slowly here. First of all, he says, what we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. That's the gospel. That's what John is talking about, the work of Jesus Christ on behalf of sinners. So John is saying, hey, this gospel that we proclaim, I'm proclaiming it right now. Why? Look at the next phrase. So that you may have fellowship with us. So John is saying, hey, when you believe the gospel, when you believe this message, you have fellowship with us. That's other believers. So John is saying, we are now in a relationship. We now have a friendship with one another because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. But then he adds this amazing stroke. Look again. So that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What? This is mind-blowing. If you believe the gospel, you not only have fellowship with other believers, but you have fellowship with God. You now have friends in high places, quite literally. You have been brought into the fellowship of the Trinity itself. It's like you're a new kid at a school and you're kind of the, the outcast or whatever. And you walk in and you don't know anybody. And then the coolest kid in the whole school comes up to you. He puts his arm around you and says, hey, this is my friend. And he starts introducing you around. And then he walks you over to his lunch table where his other friends are sitting around. And he says, hey, look, 
this is my friend and I want you to meet all of my friends. And in that moment, because the cool kid brought you to the table and said, this is my friend, what happened? You had friendships with all of these other people. That's what happens when we trust in Jesus. When you trust in Christ, you become friends of Jesus. And because you are a friend of Jesus, now you have lots of friends who are already friends with Jesus. Or to put it very succinctly, Jesus died not only to be your friend, but to give you friends. I'm not being juvenile or childish here. This is a theological reality. So whatever your backstory or your history of friendship, if you have trusted in Jesus, you have been objectively brought into fellowship with Jesus and all his friends. Here's the good news. Because of the work of Christ, godly friendships are not only essential, but possible. Man, that is such a balm to my soul. It is so hard. It is so hard in this busy, hectic, fast-paced world to have friends. But here's the thing, believer. Jesus Christ died so that you could be brought into fellowship with him and you can be brought into those who have fellowship with him. Jesus died so that no one, none of his people, would be ultimately friendless. Jesus is our friend and he invites us into true friendship. So how do we live that out? Well, at Gospel Hope, one of the ways where we've tried to cultivate rea this reality is through what we call our community groups. And if you're not familiar with community groups, man, we're glad that you're listening in today. And what we wanna do right now is have a little discussion about how community groups have impacted some of the life of our church family. So take a listen to this interview, and then after that, I'll come back with just a word or two of application. Well, hey guys, thanks so much for being here. And uh, today, as you know, we've been talking about this idea of godly friendships. We looked at the story of David and Nathan and how Nathan was a godly friend to David. Uh, what we wanna talk about right now is how friendship and godly relationships have made an impact in folks in our church's life. So, so grateful to have uh, Charlene and Brady with us. So Charlene, can you kick us off? How have godly relationships really made a difference in your life. Yeah, one of the things that I recognized after leaving college was the importance of being in community. And so I've made it a point to build community wherever I go. And I think the importance of community is you have people to keep you accountable, you have people who are able to encourage you in the Lord, you have people that you're able to talk with when you're going through difficult things. Mm. And so it's just been really amazing for me to be able to build relationships with people. It also will be an opportunity to come to church and just hang out with people that you know love you and wanna be around you. Mm, that's great. Now you, you said the word intentional. What, what's that look like in your life? How have you been intentional in cultivating godly relationships? Yeah, so I think the some of the main things that I've been able to do is just actually showing up to community group, even on the days that I don't want to, or it's been like a long day at work, or I, you know, for whatever reason, I don't feel like going that day, just making sure that I make the decision to actually go, calling people throughout the week just to check in and say hi, sending text messages, messaging them on Facebook, liking their statuses, things like that. So just being intentional about ensuring that I'm within proximity of people. That's really good. I think we all know that like friendships are important, but we don't like to admit that they take work. And uh, man, I, th I think it's a real um, testament to God's grace in your life that you're like, man, this is something that needs to be present and I need to work at it. Brady, how about you? Have, 
Have friendships, godly relationships made an impact in your spiritual walk? So when I was uh, in the film school at Florida State, it's, it's an area that's not very uh, welcoming to Christians um, with a number of things. Um, but there was a small group that got started within uh, the film school community uh, that was really encouraging at the time because there were maybe five of us that we each felt in our own year that we were the only Christians there. Mm. And so it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was really cool to have, the, even if a small community, <laughs> have some sort of community that we could encourage each other and um, in our walk with the Lord. But also we were able to have conversations that we only felt comfortable having with other Christians. You know, are there, are there sets that as followers of Jesus, we don't feel comfortable working on yeah. and what's a godly way to approach that conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then once we, once we graduated and, and moved out to Atlanta, one of the first things that really excited us about Gospel Hope was the community groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was just like welcoming arms when we were coming in. Um, and then pre-COVID, <laughs> um, Nick, who's in my, my community group, we, we would meet together every, um, every two weeks or so and just, just catch up over coffee. Um, so it, it, was, it was a way to, you know, like she mentioned, just continually encourage each other in our walks, uh, but also have like, you know, real, real, real conversations that, you know, we may not feel 100% comfortable having, you know, with, with someone who's not of faith or um, even, even in a larger group. Oh, that's great. That's great. So uh, let, let's pivot and get a little bit more specific. You guys both mentioned community groups, and this is Connect Sunday, and we're really trying to make an emphasis on that here today. How have being involved in a community group, and both of you guys have been very involved in your groups, how has that helped you cultivate godly relationships? Do, do you have any uh, stories or illustrations of how you have felt the community of Christ by being plugged into your community group? Yeah, I am so thankful for my community group. I definitely don't know where I would be at this point, probably back in Florida if I wasn't, um, if I hadn't met the people in my community group, they've definitely kept me around here. Um, But I remember when I was getting ready to move, I was in between places trying to figure out who I was going to live with because all of my family's in Florida and I'd come here for grad school. And so um, I remember like just talking to people in my community group and saying, I don't necessarily know where I'm going to live next. And they were just really welcoming and just, you know, they assured me like, don't worry, you're not going to be homeless. We'll find somewhere for you to stay. And people were just like, oh, you can stay with us for as long as you need, or you can stay here, or we know somebody that might have a place for you. And so I think just like having people who are like, we're going to make sure that you're okay Mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day was really important. And just like people checking in when I was doing my internship and, you know, doing school and things like that has just been I don't know, it's just amazing to feel loved by people who, I mean, a a year ago I didn't know who they were and now like we've built these relationships where I'm able to call them. Um, When I actually move, they help me, you know, they help me move. And so just like being able to call them and ask for help or to talk about anything is just, it's just an amazing thing. Right, helping you move. I think that's like the second greatest commandment or something like that. I think so too, yes, because I was like, I don't want to call. I was like, no, these are actually my friends. I can actually call them. That's great, that's great. Well, we we believe, and you hear us say it all the time at Gospel Hope, that the church is not like a family, it is a family. And uh, man, if you you move somebody, I feel like you're definitely acting like family members. That's good. Brady, what about you? Have have you experienced really Christ-like community by being plugged into your community group? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, definitely the, the conversations that I've had with Nick every now and then mm -hmm. um, where we've been able to meet together outside of our community group, but even like within the community group itself, like we're in uh, the Carter's group, and Iz and I realized like there's just about someone in every decade uh, in that group, and so it's kind of a like multi-generational group, and so when as we have conversations, we get to see perspectives that may not be you know, the first thought in our minds or that we may not have had before. Mm -hmm. um, so like, you know, we have everywhere from college up to retirement and uh, all the wisdom that, that comes with, with those. Yeah, and I think that's one of the beauties of the way that we seek to do community groups at Gospel Hope is that you're exposed to people that, that maybe you wouldn't naturally be exposed to. And that's the beauty of godly friendships where we're committed to one another, not just because you're just like me or you think just like me, but because we, we're united by the work of Christ and we're committed to the well-being of our brothers and sisters. Well, guys, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts. And I know this has been encouragement to me, and I'm certain it's encouraging to those who are listening. Well, hey, I hope you were encouraged by that discussion and hearing from Charlene and Brady and how relationships have impacted their lives. Uh, we just believe that godly relationships are so critical at Gospel Hope that we have a whole ministry organized around that, and that's our community groups. And what we want to do right now is give you an opportunity to get plugged into a community group. We're relaunching them this week, and we have nine groups that you can be a part of. And if you're interested in being a part of that, we're going to drop that in the comment section right now. Click on that link and go out there. In fact, we believe it's so important that believers be connected to community. We're going to give you a chance right now and pause our service to connect to a group. So go ahead, click that link and get plugged into a group. Man, we want you to experience the joy of having godly friends in your life.